Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Bonnie, a young, successful Latina architect, is sexually assaulted while walking home from an evening out with friends in Brooklyn. At first, she attempts to keep the assault secret from her long-term boyfriend, Matt, but the truth quickly emerges. Bonnie emphatically denies the impact of what happened to her. She fights to regain normalcy and control, but returning to her old life is more complicated than she expected. And that is the backstory behind this wonderful new narrative film uh, coming out uh, this week. Uh, It's called The Light of the Moon, and we're honored to have with us today the writer, producer, and director of Light of the Moon, and that would be Jessica M. Thompson. Jessica, welcome to Film School. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Um, I do know a little bit of the background on the story, how it came to you, and... uh, um, but tell our audience a little bit where the story of the film came from, Light of the Moon. Yeah, so uh, much like probably many people, I was pretty frustrated with the way that sexual assault and rape was being portrayed in film and television. Um, you know, from some of my favorite TV shows like Game of Thrones to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and many other uh, films and TV series where I felt that they were not portraying accurately sexual assault, either the actual rape itself, it was being shot from sometimes the perspective of the rapist, which I thought was very damaging and very disturbing, wasn't empowering the victim in any way or allowing us to empathize with her quite often. Um, And then you would never see the aftermath of that and you would never go down her story and you would never see how, how she had to piece together her life afterwards. Um, and then often you would see a rape revenge story um, where the rape where the rape victim gets to you know ends up seeing justice being had either through the courtroom or by murdering the rapist. And all of these are certain stories, but they're definitely not realistic, is what I know. And then I had a friend actually go through this when she was jogging one evening, actually in broad daylight on the Upper East Side, and she was attacked. And um, and then she's a lawyer, and she her, the way. She struggled to kind of piece her life back together, to keep her relationship with her boyfriend in a healthy place. Uh, even her work relationship, she wanted to, very much like Bonnie, wanted to deny that it had any impact on her because she felt um, a lot of self-blame and a lot of um, shame surrounding it. And I think that's because of how society portrays it and because of how we portray it in the film and television industry. So I, um, I felt compelled to tell her story and I asked if she would be willing for me to tell it in an anonymous way and loosely based Bonnie on her character and she said yes and and that's how The Light of the Moon came to be. Yeah, and one of the things that I really appreciate about the film is that it is um, truthful, it's intimate, it's not sensational in a, in a way that it makes it salacious in any way. Um, the intimacy of the film and uh, Stephanie Petris's performance and that you really... She is in every frame, almost practically speaking, from from start to finish. So, it's that ability to bring this very intimate and terrible tragic or terrible event into uh, without sensationalizing it and making it even more powerful in turn in the telling of the story. When you were looking at doing this film, was that your intent from the beginning? Was to sort of focus on on this aspect? 
and I know you work closely with your cinematographer, but just tell us a little bit about the process of getting that level of, obviously, trust you had with your actors as well. Yeah, so that was always definitely from the get-go was, um, you know, I knew that if I didn't have an incredible body that I didn't have a story. Um, so, you know, I had Stephanie Beatrice in mind from almost from the very beginning um, because of her comedic performances, really, because I, that's one of Bonnie's coping mechanisms. Um, but I knew that she was a chameleon, that she had these incredible dramatic performances up her sleeve, but that she hadn't been given a, a lead role and that she'd been vocal about not enough uh, lead roles being written for women uh, of colour, I should say. So um, so I, so that, that was a lot of the reason why I chose Stephanie, and I went with my gut with that. As soon as we spoke on the phone, I felt an amazing chemistry between us and an amazing trust, um, and she was very open with her own personal and friendship experiences of sexual assault, and I felt um, I felt that she was right for the role from the beginning. And really, the way that I went about getting these natural performances, because that's what the film is all about, is all about showing you know that we can identify with both Bonnie and Matt throughout the film. Uh, I had intense rehearsals for six days before shooting, and I was very adamant about that. My producers were like, do we really need six days? And I was like, yes, trust me. I'm going to save you so much time in production. Um, and I knew that I needed Michael or David, who plays Matt and Stephanie, to trust each other and trust me intimately because the film is so intimate. So um, so that's how I went about it. I, I, we rehearsed. We rehearsed in the space that Matt and Bonnie live in. Um, so in the, uh, the, their apartment, so we rehearsed there, which made them feel comfortable with the space they were in as well, so it wasn't completely foreign to them. Um, and we did a lot of improv. We did a lot of improv, uh, you know, them improving the day that they met, uh, the day that they decided to be boyfriend and girlfriend, um, their first fight, things like that. Um, and I think that that gave them a backstory to pull from so that the lines would come out naturally. Um, uh, and we did stick to the script, you know, 99% of the time, um, but I let them know that if there was ever anything that they, during that rehearsal process, that they weren't sure about, that they could talk to me. And so we did change a few lines in that rehearsal week, um, considering, you know, if they had suggestions and things like that. So it was a very open and honest and no hierarchy involved. It was all about we are collaborators, we are all filmmakers, we are all artists. Let's um, make the most real and honest performances available to us. And I think that trust allowed them to get to that place, that authenticity that you see on screen, um, and allowed that they trust in me, and they trust in the cinematographer, and the fact that Stephanie had complete control over the shooting schedule, you know, we told her, when did you want to shoot the rape scene, uh, who, do you want in the, for, who do you want in the room for certain scenes, you know, we really allowed her to um, feel completely empowered as, as a woman actor on set, and as a lead actor, um, and I think that, that also made her feel extremely comfortable. Yeah, I really, I couldn't agree more. Her performance is, um, she has a certain, there's an openness to her, uh, to her physically, her face, or she's a very warm presence, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and inviting sort of thing um, in her, in the way that she portrays uh, this role. But there's also, and I often find this to be the case, she comes from, you mentioned, sort of a comedic background with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, and also a terrific film. One of my favorite films uh, from recent years is Short Term 12. I thought it was a wonderful film. Uh, yeah. So she's from, she comes from the comedic part of it. And I don't know what it is about comedians who take on more dramatic roles 
or people who come out of the comedy world, if you will. But I do think there is something to their ability to tap into a range of emotions. I, I, I think of stand-ups, the, you know, the sheer terror of standing in front of people and trying to make them laugh. But also, it's hard to make f- comedy. And I think it tests people as actors when they do it well. And I, it, I can't help but yeah. think that's part of the sort of what comes through in her performance is that ability to tap into a range of emotions and be able to elicit a ra- a ra- those range of emotions as well. Would you would you agree, or how do you feel? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I have 10 years of acting training myself from the age of 12 to 22, and um, and I would notice that as well, that the, that the actors that were more naturally comedic in, inclined, comedically inclined, could easily switch into dramatic performances, but not necessarily the other way around. And I think with comedy, a lot of it is empathy. A lot of it is yes. timing because you're really listening. You've got to really listen to your other actors yeah. and you've got to listen to their story and their timing to get your line to hit right at the right point and that little look that you give and everything like that. So when you watch comedy, it is actually a great exercise in empathy and listening. And I think that um, if there is anything I could say about Stephanie as a performer, she is the most empathetic actor and one of the most empathetic people that I know. Um, she has this incredible innate ability to really listen and to really understand. And quite often we would speak without speaking. You know, and I think that comes from this comedic training that she has um, and also just her personality. And I think that's why we see that, why we well, we associate, you know, with Jim Carrey, you know, going from a wild comedian to now being one of my favorite actors when he does, you know, when he's not painting and he's actually acting. Um <laughs> You know, but we see that a lot where we see, you know, in the great late, very sadly, Robin Williams, you know. Um, and I think it's that ability to empathize and listen, and that's, uh, that comes very naturally to comedy. And, um, and I think the dramatic actors need to, I think there's some, of course, fantastic dramatic actors, but I think that's what, that's the difference. Um, and quite often I would, I, all I had to, if, if I thought Stephanie wasn't, um, you know, it was very rare. Most of the time, Stephanie was on, and I she made my job as a director very easy. There was a couple of times when I felt like, for instance, in the hospital scene, where there was many more actors, it wasn't just her and Michael, it was maybe five or six actors in the room, and, you know, the crew was bigger. We had two cameras that day and uh, those two days. And so I think that um, she'd gotten used to this very quiet, kind of intimate set, and that maybe she wasn't getting to the place she needed to get to as easily. And so I would give her a cue... I could see how much Michael saw David um, playing Matt, how much he was emoting during that scene. I would say before you say your first line, just look at him. Just just look at him as Bonnie. Just look at him, um, and then and then deliver your first line. And that's because I knew she was such an empath that it wasn't about her going inside herself. It wasn't about her needing a moment, needing a break herself. It's she can empathize so deeply that if she saw somebody else was emoting, she could almost cry instantaneously. Like, it's just, she has this amazing ability. So I would tap into that because I could see, oh, those were, well, Michael saw David is very different actually. He does need time to himself. He does need to go away and kind of pull himself out of a scene and things like that. So it's also me as a director understanding what my actors need and mm. what they need from me and what, you know, will, to help them get to the place they need to get to. 
But yeah, I do think comedians make incredible actors. Yeah. <laughs> I think of Michael Keaton, Tom Hanks, these people came out of the stand-up tradition, so many. And and I yeah, I do think that you're right, the empathy, the ability to listen to people as well. Um, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Jessica M. Thompson. She's the director, writer, and producer of the film The Light of the Moon. Uh, you can find out more about the film by going to their website, which second I just lost. Um, uh, it's called, cleverly enough, thelightofthemoonfilm.com. There you go, lightofthemoonfilm.com to find out more about the film itself, about the screenings um, all around the country. It's opening up. It will be rolling out starting in New York and then eventually November 16th here in Los Angeles for a uh, for a run at the Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. And you'll be here that night for a, uh, a Q&A with the cast. And uh, is that correct? Yeah. yeah it should be. Yeah, yeah, the cast and crew, the key cast and crew will be there um, on the 16th at the Lumley in Santa Monica. I'm really um, looking forward to that one. And yeah, we'll be opening here at the ISC in New York City and um, we'll be doing Q&As the first two nights on the first and the second. So yeah, I think tickets go on sale today, actually. Okay, well, fantastic. Now, um, the, uh, the the title of the film, The Light of the Moon, What what is the sort of what were you trying to get to with that with that title <laughs> I'm glad you asked that Another, I always sometimes people don't ask and I, I, which I think is wonderful because they've obviously made their own interpretation of it which I think is great and what kind of art is about but um so I that was so normally I don't name my films I've made three short films before making this film and I don't name them until almost like the last day of post-production um because I usually like to have the story and the production and the post-production to inform the title. Um, and it'll usually come to me naturally. It'll almost come to me in like a aha moment. Um, and with this, the way that film is going, which I think is incredible, you know, we did crowdfund. We raised $50,000 for the development of The Light of the Moon. And this is going back two and a half years ago now. So, um, or maybe not that long, two years ago. So, um so we felt like, we, you know, you need to come up with titles much earlier than you used to. You know, you can't just have a film called The Untitled, you know, <laughs> going for crowdfunding. So I felt the pressure to kind of come up with a title. And I've been writing the script, and as I've been writing the script, you know, I use a lot of improv exercises to get to um, the naturalism that uh, you see on, on screen and to get the dialogue uh, just right and things like that. And I kept imagining this poem that my mum used to read to me called The Owl and the Pussycat. Mm. And it's about an owl and a cat who clearly aren't meant to be together. And um, they defy the odds and they elope and they go to a remote desert island and they um, they get married there and they, they live, you know, it doesn't say happily ever after, but it says that they dance hand in hand by the light of the moon. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking of this owl and this cat, like Bonnie and Matt, who maybe aren't necessarily meant to be together, or but they're fighting against the odds to make it work. And I just kept thinking about this poem and the light of the moon um, kept rolling around in my mind. So that's what I named it. And I kind of thought maybe I'll change it in post-production. But by then, I had kind of fallen in love with that. And now I love that people interpret it as like a light in a dark place or, you know, putting a spotlight on someone. Um, and I like the interpretations of it. So now it's kind of stuck. There you go. Well, um the uh, and we've barely touched. I mean, we've described the film, the story behind it, what happened to uh, to the character uh, Stephen Bonnie. Um, so, what 
I mean, let's just address the sort of larger issue. This is something um, rape in this country and I'm sure around the world is uh, pervasive. It is there is there are things about our culture that there are so many things that kind of contribute to this. And um, one in five women in the United States have been sexually assaulted, which is just an insane uh, number. Uh, Tell me a little bit about sort of that part of uh, the story of, of Light on the Moon. Yeah, um, I mean, just like you said, um, it, it's such a pervasive problem in our culture, uh, and it's not just rape itself, it's the culture that surrounds it that allows it to happen and then also allows rapists to not get persecuted or punished. Um, and I think just like we've seen, you know, in recent weeks of Harvey Weinstein and his abuse, sexual abuse and abuse of power coming to light, um, and this is pervasive in the film industry, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere since I've been in it from a 12-year-old girl um, upwards, that, you know, it's a culture that we have surrounding within our society that perpetuates and allows this to keep happening, and we're not addressing it in, in any real way. We are now, though. I do feel like a lot of folks coming out of these stories, and I'm not saying it's, that's it, we're done, you know, we've fixed the problem at all, but I think the more that we can talk about it, the more that art can explore it, um, the more that we can put real and honest stories in the limelight and be told with empowerment in mind of, of victims. And, and I think the more that we can do that and the more that we can see people like Harvey Weinstein, like Bill Cosby, um, like Bill O'Reilly, like maybe hopefully Donald Trump, the more that we can see sexual predators um, be brought to justice, the more that we can address it on a cultural level. And, you know, uh, you know rape in in college campuses is a huge problem. We're, we're taking this film around to uh, college campuses all over North America, yeah. um, and that's part of the distribution plan that I'm really excited about because I feel like this will generate a lot of discussion, um, much-needed discussion on campuses, and I think it needs to start at a much earlier age than we think. You know, this concept of consent, we can we talk about sexual education, but we don't talk about consent, mm. and I think that needs to be a very big part of our discussions um, from a young age um, in raising children um, you know, if we are ever to get to the bottom of this problem. And we need to stop seeing it as a woman's problem, we need to stop seeing it as a human problem. And I think that's part of what The Light of the Moon is about. You see how it affects her partner, yeah. her, her living boyfriend, her best friend, um, Conrad, her, you know, many other, her mother. You know, you see it, it affects in her workplace. It affects so many people. Um, and so we shouldn't just brand this as a, as a woman's problem. We shouldn't um, force people to be silent about it. We really need now's the time to stand up and to make a real change and to talk about it well i could not agree more the the culture that it that allows this to be seen as something that's an anomaly or that it's something that uh it's just one oh it's that person or somehow this is the, the ways that we find to excuse this um uh have got to stop and i think as women especially in the film industry are becoming more a, a part of the the uh, the powerful uh, the more powerful elements within the film industry, uh, and these stories are told um, in such a powerful way, like it is in the, the light of the moon. Oh, it will change. I I I have confidence that things that seem intractable eventually, with the kind of thing that's going on with your film, become unacceptable. And um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I agree, Mike. And I think as well with the amount of women production companies we're seeing. Yeah. Some about, you know, women-led, Margot Robbie, Jessica Chastain, yeah. um, you know, Evan Rachel Wood. We're seeing uh, so many incredible women 
starting their own production, Sarah Jessica Parker, you know, starting their own production companies yeah. and telling their own stories. And I think um, I do feel very positive that there, that change is on the horizon, if not maybe already happening. And um, I think that we will we will get to a point where hopefully this is behind us and rape culture is a thing of the past. Yeah, I agree. Well, I want to thank you, Jessica M. Thompson, for being here. The film, again, is... The Light of the Moon uh, comes out here in Los Angeles November 16th. It's in New York uh, November, starting November 1st. And uh, congratulations on a wonderfully rendered story and beautiful performances uh, that you were able to get from their cast. And congratulations. I look forward to more of your work. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.